Bringing you the latest thinking and developments from the international B2B marketing space, this is BBN Mixtape. And mixing it up for us today is Ed Davis. Hello and welcome to BBN Mixtape. I am your host, Ed Davis. Today, I am joined by Nikos Lamanis, who is a principal consultant for longtime BBN partner Luxid, which is based out of Finland. Pardon me. Now, Nikos isn't finished, and we sort of covered all of that. Uh, Nikos is based here in the U.S., uh, and this is part two of our Coming to America three-part series. Uh, the first part we've, we've just recorded, and we, we covered cultural nuances about foreign or international companies coming to the United States. And in this uh, part, or, or, or in the second part, what we want to cover is sort of some hard and fast business considerations uh, that, that, that are occurring that could have an impact on somebody uh, coming into the U.S. or if somebody's already in the U.S. and they're trying to market and things along those lines. These are all things that Nikos wants to talk about or, or we're going to hit on to, to help people contextualize some of the broader trends and, and, and threads that are being woven within uh, the U.S. economy and U.S. business uh, currently, and so Nikos, as we you know sort of talk through the first part of this series, um, and I gave those six or seven cultural, you know, uh, cultural waypoints that people need to be conscious of as they come and do business into the U.S. You want to get into some harder and faster things. And, and and I think it's interesting because Luxid and yourself are, you're in this exact same, you're in this exact position right at the, this moment. You all have a historically good business in Europe, specifically in the UK and in Finland. And now you all have made the leap over the Atlantic because business has dictated it. And so you're, you're, you're living what it is that we're talking about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think everything you spoke about in the last in the last episode definitely resonates. So the one thing I would say is we've been established in Finland and the UK for a long time, but we've been also doing work in the US for a long time as well with, with US businesses and stakeholders based over here in the US. So it kind of feels like some of the things you were talking about felt much more familiar. Others have become more familiar since we, we, we've re-established our, our permanent presence out here and I've, I've come out here to live. Um, you know, talking about competitiveness, talking about short-term, you know, short-term thinking, but short-term priorities, um, and some of the individualisms and you know, the individualistic nature of, of, of business here have definitely become even more um, evident since since I've been here and you know, full time. I think the the thing that that really you mentioned in the last episode that really resonated the most was you, to come here. You really need to have. A well-structured plan. You need really need to have the resources and the budget to be able to back it up, and and that well-structured plan needs to start and finish at your at your global HQ, wherever that is. It's not it's not a case of you open up an office in a new country, suddenly you're international, and that international office is responsible for your growth in in that new market, whether it's the US or or wherever else. Um, and that's that's the big thing for us, really. We, we talked about partnerships already as as well. Understanding, uh, having somebody there who understands your new market, but also understands where you're coming from, your brand, your, 
your USPs, the way you do business, your products, your your, your audience. Yep. Massively important. Um, I mean, you must have seen it many times going both directions as well, Ed. This is coming in and, and, and making mistakes and this is coming in and doing it well. What For me, there's a realisation. You must have seen the same thing though, right? Yeah, I think there's a there's a couple things. So, you know, the first thing I would obviously 100% agree with you. I think sometimes the plan that people have isn't actually contextual to the market that they're going, right? I think I, I think sometimes, and, and I don't mean this in, in a disparaging way, I think sometimes people come here on vacation or, or executives come here for a trade show or something along those lines, and they get enamored by the lights and the marketing and, you know, just how many people there might be that you can you can sell your products or services to. And that, that is attractive, right? There, there is some logic, there is some truth that if you can make it here, you can make it virtually anywhere um, globally. But <clears throat> inevitably, one of the things that I, I, I see on a fairly regular basis is not really taking into account the size of, of the United States. Right. Um, or, or to the larger extent, the Americas region, yeah, yeah. right? You, you and I talked a little bit about that. And I was even thinking more about this over the weekend, you know, to sit there and go, oh, we're going to go open up in the Americas. Well, that's Canada all the way down to <laughs> Argentina. And yeah, that's, like, yeah. that's a, that's a swath of, yeah, of the globe. It is. And you know what I mean? And, and, and sometimes what, what I've seen is. You know, I, I, I tell this story quite frequently, and I won't get into all the details of it, but I remember being called to uh, the HQ of a, as it happens, a finished business. Um, it, they were in Helsinki, and they, they had a smallish, very small presence in the U.S., and they wanted to grow that. They wanted to pour fuel on the fire and really grow the business in the United States. And they were looking for an agency to support them and come up with a huge whiz bang marketing plan. And part of the brief was we want to shut down Times Square, right? And so, you know, as somebody who does business development or, or runs agencies or, or agency teams, you know, that, ooh, that, that sounds meaty. That sounds cool. I want to be a part of that. And so you put together some ideas and all of that and, you know, you hear somebody say, oh, yeah, budget's not going to be a problem and this and that and the other. And, you know, you fly all the way to Helsinki with your team to pitch. And you put all that stuff up and, and all of a sudden, you know, you start putting the numbers up and, oh, well, hang on a second. We had $75,000. And I'm just in there going for all of the U.S., let alone stopping traffic in Times Square, like. Like that's, that won't even cover the security for Times Square. So, you know, what conversation are we having? So, you know, there's a lesson in there for me, of course there is, but you know, the, you know, just for comparison and, you know, we like to throw out these types of numbers just, just for kicks, but, you know, in all of Finland, you know, there's something like four, maybe a thousand media outlets uh, in Houston alone, there's something like 2,000 different media outlets when you start looking at newsletters and podcasts and things along those lines. That's just Houston. Just or my other favorite my other favorite stat is 
there's something like 6 million people in all of Scotland. And there is 6 million people in the greater Houston area. Yeah. Right. So, you know, there's a scale thing that people sometimes fail to realize about America. I think it's expansion. It's, it's expansion at a different degree, isn't it? If, if you're a European business yep. who's headquartered in a, a European nation, and you decide to incrementally expand into other nations, you actually localize, regionalize your presence, build a new team, rinse and repeat. Basically, you can you can do that over a number of years, a relatively a, a pace that will they'll get you the growth you want, but you, you can still operationally handle it. You move from a country or the entire of Europe into the US, you suddenly enter, and this is just the US, I'm not talking about the Americas again, um, you just you suddenly enter into an economy that's 40% bigger than the entire EU yeah. region put together. And that all speaks one language, more or less, more or less, okay? More maybe or less. We'll, maybe we'll come to that. <laughs> um, but ultimately, it has one business language. And... Um, and and you suddenly need to hit it all. And even if you're even if you're targeting a relatively niche market, whatever it is, whether you're in oil and gas or pharmaceuticals yep. or whatever, um, it's still massive. And you still you've still got to treat it like much more than a, a regular European country expansion. Even if you're ex- expanding that's into right. a, one of the bigger European nations, I think that's the realization right. point um, that, that I was getting at earlier. No, I would agree with you. I, th- I think sort of putting a bow on that is just because you have an office in the U.S. doesn't mean you are a U.S. business, right? There's a lot of things that go into that, um, and 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 it all tracks back to what's your plan, what are the resources, you know? Do you actually understand the market, you know, and 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 how are you attacking the market? For sure. I mean, you're absolutely right. Having an office, it doesn't mean, even if it is, as you said in, in the last episode, extremely easy potentially to set up a new business, incorporate a new business here. doesn't mean you suddenly have a presence here. And, and it is almost like starting over, partly because of all those cultural nuances we were talking about before, the way that business is done, the size of the market. And there's, even there, there are some um, some pitfalls that are quite easy to fall into. It's, it's rare that a business will start in Europe, then very quickly move to the US before it has some kind of stability or, or, or robust processes or systems in place or is at least profitable. And any business that's been around for a while will in some ways potentially suffer from that thing called success amnesia, where you, know, you, you, you forget what it's like to be yeah. a scrappy startup where you've got to work you know, 20 hours a day and, and really hustle to get your messages across and your products understood. And, and, and you know, businesses coming in from an established position in the European market suddenly have to start again. That in itself is difficult. That's right. That you're a nobody again. That's right. 100%. I think from our, pers- our perspective, one of the, one of the reasons that, that I'm here, and it doesn't, wouldn't have to be me, it could be anybody, uh, to degrees, uh, a, a lot of businesses I've seen move across from Europe, establish their presence here, or open an office here, start recruiting here. The recruitment itself is is tough. You know, finding senior roles that are a good fit is tough. And I think if you can move across some of your employees um, to to at least be a, a, a proportion of your uh, from your existing workforce, you know, to be on long term assignment, there's definite benefits from that. You know, helping to instill the cultural DNA as you hire and you grow locally, 
And it doesn't you know, ultimately, hopefully, means you don't end up with two totally separate companies with very different ways of doing business that ultimately are just brought together by a product. Well, and you you have to guard against that, right? Um, you know, we've <clears throat> coming from you know doing work in a couple creative stroke branding uh, agencies for the last 12, 13 years. You know, one of the things that I have seen is the further away an office is from HQ, the center of gravity, the more likely it doesn't really adhere to what the original concept was of the brand, the culture, the image, the values. It's a really interesting, and and we could bring, you know, some of our, our senior brand strategists on to talk about that at a later date, but, but it does happen. Um, and you know, the minute that you get across the ocean and you have, you know, five, six, seven, eight time zones between you and HQ, it's just, it's inevitable for you to have cultural and values drift. Definitely. I think that coming back to what I said right at the start of this episode, success really does start at HQ An expansion isn't, isn't. You open an office and everything's good and rosy and they, they carry on the growth for you in a new market. It needs to be a long-term strategic initiative that's, that's backed by leadership and really understood by leadership as well. And a lot of that comes down to making sure the timing's right. That's right. And so, and, and speaking of timing, right, you all in Europe, you know, you've got GDPR. You know, and I like to sort of say, you know, sick California side, they're special. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of the wild, wild west here, right? So what considerations does somebody have to be thinking through as, as within their, their, their data, right? Because it's not as simple as, right, we had all these contacts in Germany or Finland or the UK, and now Nikos is in the U.S., so we're just going to let Nikos access those to start saying, hey, do you have any business for me? Like, that's not the way that that's going to work, right? For sure, yeah. I mean, GDPR is a strange one in, in that there is nothing like it here, right? And I know that there's certain you know, finance and, and healthcare and some of, the, some of the federal institutions that are a little stricter than, than average in terms of data privacy, but the, the big cultural difference here coming back to cultural differences is gdpr is all about the right to privacy right the consumer's right to privacy here you very rarely hear talk about the right to privacy it's all about privacy of data records or secure data security um, and, and it's a slightly more op- operational um it's slightly more operational talk rather than yep. human talk i guess you, you could put it that way and but i think if you're a marketer moving from europe into the US and, and starting to think, okay, how do I adapt what I was doing there to what I'm doing here? That wild, wild west um, analogy you just made is, is a really interesting one because it's not necessarily a barrier. It's, it's a real opportunity, even though the culture, you know, as, as you just alluded to, is, is gradually changing. I know California are on their own now. I think Colorado and maybe a few other states are starting to put in their own state-specific GDPR yeah, style. Yeah, and I, I think I think the, you know, of all the challenges we might have politically, I do think that that is one of the areas in which you are seeing more activity within our political representatives is is they do want to figure out data privacy at the 
at the individual level um, and protect that. Ironically, the re I think some of the reason for that is you just had a, a secure a data breach of a healthcare organization that um, a lot of their clients were representatives from Congress and staffers from Congress and all that. So, you know, that's bubbled up to the top. And you wonder how much of it has been brought about by companies like TikTok who potentially storing data elsewhere outside yeah. of the US now. It's, Possibly. It's, it's definitely an interesting an interesting trend that's got people talking at least. It's definitely getting more airtime than it than it was a few years back. hundred percent. And that brings me to, to the other point of data sovereignty. And, and it's never really been as much of a consideration, in my understanding, here, here in the US as it is in, in Europe, and especially within the EU, and, and more in some EU countries than others. That um, at a consumer level, but also at a business level, uh, needing or, or requiring or wanting a transparency of where their data is kept and, and how it's treated when it crosses international borders. And, and definitely a, uh, I wouldn't say a fear, but a reticence for their data to be transferred across or stored in in the US, where there is less of a right to the privacy and there's less control, excuse me, less control over that data, um, and and I think that hopefully is changing as well. It it is. I think you see it in certain industries and in certain sectors. You have, you know, more rigorous standards. Certainly within healthcare, you'll you'll you'll, you'll see it that way. Um, but there there's others where you know it it is. You know, if you if you said data sovereignty, you'd get blank stares. Huh? Is data a state? Uh, right. No, it's 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 a state of mind. Sure. <laughs> it's a state of mind. Nice. I didn't see that coming. I uh, know. You know, <laughs> thinking on my feet, Nikos. Yeah, I mean, I, I still culturally, I think that the way that ads are served here and the way that marketing is done here is is very different having been a, a recent consumer both in europe and here and, and to see the starkness of difference across a number of different mediums you know, my, my favorite is always sports sports advertising, oh, sure. or advertising during live sports you know where you know, every stat is sponsored by one two three different companies and the ad breaks last longer than the actual game itself and yeah it's just so foreign in in europe and but it's an opportunity you know, that that whole culture or that whole, whole cultural expectation here that That's to right. be advertised to is, is is an opportunity for business coming in but it is a shift in mindset to take advantage of that and really use it to to, to the best that you can needs a, a shift in mindset yep so what else what, what else Ed, do you think um what what else do you want me to talk about? I guess let's let's start there. Well, I think yeah, I think probably what would make the most sense is you know what is going to be on everybody's mind as we get into um, the rest of this year is where do things sit economically, right? There's all these yeah. things that tell us we're headed for you know significant downturn and recession and. Yeah. You know, I, I think the thing you, you can probably talk more eloquently about that than, than I can. I think the thing that I always keep in mind is it's it's a data point, right? And if you have a plan, if you have, if you've been thoughtful in how you structured your business, especially when you come here, 
it shouldn't be a hindrance. It should actually be an opportunity because the thing to remember is a couple things actually is one, very rarely do you know you're in a recession until you're actually in it, right? That's, that's what people will typically tell you. Um, the other thing that they will say is the average recession lasts 10 months, right? So it's, it's essentially three quarters and maybe a bit. Uh, that means that, that a lot of them have actually lasted less than that. Um, some have lasted longer, of course. And, and I am by no means an economist or, or anybody who has any level of financial savviness to him. Uh, as my wife can attest. Uh, but what I do know is, you know, those things are, are typically, you know, really big macro constructs. And if you, if you planned well, if you're executing well, I'm not saying that they're not going to impact your business, but you can limit their impact on your business. And I think the, the U.S. economy in general has done really well in the last, you know, several cycles of, uh, of growth and, and expansion versus recession and downturn to, to try and compartmentalize, you know, downturns into specific industries and sectors when they start to see them. So the example would be right now, you see a lot of pullback in technology as an example, right? And you see a lot of pullback in housing, but oil and gas is just going crazy right? Healthcare, life sciences, crazy, logistics, supply chain, even though it has its challenges coming out of the pandemic, going really, really well in terms of the opportunities in there. So, you know, just because it's down in one part of the economy doesn't mean that there aren't other opportunities uh, that you can be afforded in another part of the economy. Sure. So what you're saying is that for a business coming in to the US from Europe, Really, you've got to understand what a U.S. recession looks like. Correct. Because it probably, I mean, it is different. It is. It does affect. Um, it does affect business differently than it does in Europe, and it, and it does in different places across Europe. And then a, a real understanding of where your target audience sits and how your target audience is going to be affected. And and it may not be negative, as you said. Some of some of those right. are. They're going to be steaming through, through, and 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 growing, if nothing else, and an understanding of you know how how it's actually going to affect, and and to kind of roll with the the punches as as any good marketer does. Yep, hundred percent. So, anything else you want to cover, Nikos, as we come to the the end of this um, part of the series? I suppose the the only other, and I'm really keen to get into the next the next episode next week because I think having a, a third perspective on this or a different perspective um, than I've seen recently is going to be going to be awesome. But I suppose the only couple of things that that I wanted to say uh, more um, observations really than anything is I think we're all kind of bored about hearing about COVID. We're bored about talking about COVID. But a few years back, for a company coming into the US, it's it's a it is different now in this kind of post COVID world. It's it's different now in that some of the factors that would have guided even the location for expansion. You know, do you end up on in Silicon Valley? Do you end up on in the Northeast or whatever? You know, down to client perception, talent availability, customer location, and um, some of those are less of a priority now. And I, think I don't right, know whether yeah. that lowers the barrier. Or makes it more complex. I mean, that's probably a separate debate in itself. But 
there's there's less cost being tied you know, if you're not tied to a major metropolitan center obviously but there's also more complexity if you're yeah. now recruiting from a nationwide pool of talent um but i think those those are definite considerations and on top of that talk, talking briefly about recruitment there recruitment is very different in in Europe as it is in, in the US in a number of ways. Just h- hiring here is more expensive, and um, not just from a salary perspective, where sal- salaries aren't always a parity. Um, and then you've got uh, some of the benefits that are just you know, relatively unheard of in, in most <laughs> European markets that are a run of the course here. And it's uh, it that is it's in itself a learning, and and the fact that those differ from state to state to state they as do. well. And this, this comes back to something you said way, way back in the beginning, at the beginning of the last episode. Um, you know, the US is one country, but it's it's not one country. Things no. are done very differently. And there's a, a lot of individualism in, in the way business is done uh, and the way that just things are done in general, the way that running a business is done. And there's a lot of learnings that ultimately, I said back at the beginning here, we've been working with US businesses for a long time. I've been personally working pretty much primarily with US businesses for the last decade or so of my career but until you come here and run a business here there's certain things that you will just never realize yeah. until you're doing them and and that's when it, it comes back again to what we said about partnerships you know it's much more important more important than having a big office or a nice location you know associating yourself with people on the ground who know how things are run know who to contact how to recruit how to you know, package an enticing job offer um, how to tell comp- compelling stories to the media, what a realistic budget is for reaching the media, as you mentioned earlier, um, and then ultimately how to sell, how to do this here, here in the US. Yep. That's no, really that's, important. Yeah, and it gets complicated really quickly. You know, I mean, the, the, the way to think about it is, yes, we're one country, it's 50 states, um, but in, in a lot of ways, you know, each of those states have a level of sovereignty over the way that they conduct business. Um, and, you know, like you said, I, that's probably a whole other podcast episode in and of itself, uh, in all honesty. But, you know, I think, you know, that's some of the beauty and, and, and opportunity that is the United States. For sure. So, right. Nikos, thanks for joining us. The, the first two parts of this have been fantastic. Um, we'll, we'll be bringing on that third person. We're not going to reveal who it is just yet. Um, it's not like he's a rock star or, you know, anything like that. Just, you know, we're just working out the details, but we're going to get that recorded. It'll be available, uh, the week following the release of these two episodes. So, uh, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you find this episode and this podcast value, please share it on social media. Like us wherever you listen to podcasts, and we would love to get that five-star review. Thank you, and talk to you next time. Thank you. BBN Mixtape is a production of BBN. Subscribe from your favorite podcatcher for episode transcripts, links, and more. If you like this show, give us a nice five-star rating. It's how you can help more marketers find us. Thank you, and we will talk in the next episode.